This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll begin in 1 Samuel 15. Then we'll go real quickly to James chapter 4. And we're going to move on here. Now we've been talking about blessings. But one of the greatest keys that come to the and walking in the blessing of the Lord is I've got to be obedient. That something happens when I become obedient to the word of God. So I'm going to talk tonight, this last night on this in obedience. And then the next few weeks on Wednesday night, man, we're just going to get over into the word and Samaritans and we're really going to sharpen our faith. Why is faith impossible? Well, Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God without faith. And so I, I believe we've got to preach the word of faith and we've got to stay with it. But tonight, we're on obedience. So we begin in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Now, he gives us some nuggets right there. Uh, Just religious activities are very hollow. That's what he's talking about, sacrifices. Just going through the motions. But it's interesting, he says here, that behold, or is as obeying in the voice of the Lord. Something begins to happen to us as human beings When we choose to obey the Lord. His word. I don't have to. But something begins to happen when you obey the word of God. And and, in any area of scripture that you find that's written to it. How many of you have ever walked in obedience in an area of your life? Just because the Bible said. And when I begin to walk in that just because the word of God says. I see blessings in my life. I see my life begin to change. And so we hit back to what he said. As obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Now he's really highlighting this here. To obey. Just to flat out obey the word of God. No ifs, ands, or buts. But just obey the word of God is better than sacrifice. And to heed or to obey what he said. Is that than a fat of rams. For rebellion is a sin as witchcraft. So when I don't obey the things of God, he's given me insight here. It's a form of rebellion. And stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. So what's more pleasing to the Lord? Obedience or sacrifice? Well, he makes it real clear. Obedience is. Now, go with me to the book of James, chapter 4. And as you turn there, just a question for you. James is right after Hebrews, way back there in the back. James 4. Are you negligent about your obedience? Do you make excuses about being disobedient? Again, this is one of the greatest keys to life as a Christian. That not only do I heed the word of God. When I find what's written in that word of God, I obey it. I obey. You know, as a parent, it's awesome when your children obey, but it's even more awesome when they obey quickly and quietly. How many of you like to tell your, your children, 
did you make your bed today? And they say, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. And you go back there and look, and you're like, praise the Lord. How many of you like to say to your kids, did you make your bed today? And they say, no, ma'am, no, sir. And you tell them again, you need to make your bed before they, you go to school. And you go back there when they leave for school and you find out they didn't do that. Now you become very irritated as a parent and you have the thought, Lord, create some mass between their ears. Help them to begin to understand just, just what I'm asking. Now think about that as a parent. Just because they don't make their bed like I desire them to doesn't mean I don't love them any different. But when they obey me quickly and quietly, man, I want to say, man, I want to be good to you. I want to bless you all the time. Well, think about that with Father God. God says, I just want you to make your bed. Step out and obey. Now, this is a verse that's going became really, really big in my heart for this year. James chapter 4, verse 17, the last verse of James 4. Therefore, to him who knows to do good or knows to do what's right but does not do it, to him it is sin. Now that's an interesting statement there. And so what we see here is this. Sin is not only actively committing evil deeds, it also is passively failing to do what you know God wants you to do. Now that brings all this to a whole new level. And so when I begin to see the word of God and I choose not to obey it, what did he just say? In God's eyes... That's sin. Now, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live disobedient. I want to become obedient to Father God in everything I say and everything I do. Now, for most of the rest of the night, we're going to go to the book of John, chapter 2. John, chapter 2. So, I give you those first two verses to kind of set the table. But also, for you to begin to meditate on those, I, I encourage you, look at... Uh, James 4, 17, what we just, in different translations. And man, you'll begin to read that in different views of, of writers of the Bible. And I'm telling you, it'll come to life to you. Where you look and say, Lord, put, put a heart to obey. I, I want to obey you. That's the joy of my life. All right, we begin in John chapter 2. And you've probably read this passage before. But you may see it in a totally different slant tonight. John 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. So what's going on here is this is the third day of a wedding reception. When the Jews would get married, a Hebrew wedding festival could last up to a week. So in this passage here, they're in the third day of a reception. And the, the groom and the bride were treated as royalty. I mean, you talk about a celebration. And I, and I believe that's the way it should be when ones get married. We ought to celebrate that in great, great uh, details and great uh, uh, happiness and joy over it. And so when they would have these celebrations like it's talking about, the, the parents of the groom, they were in charge of all the food and all the drink. And what would happen was the family members, the friends... They would plan to be at this set for a whole week. And the last thing you wanted to happen as being the host was to run out of food or drink. Because when you ran out of food and drink, they went home. And so when you hosted a wedding reception like this, 
when, when people would come to it, you would want them to fill in the blank with something like this. This was the greatest reception I've ever been a part of. Man, they didn't spare anything. They, they served prime rib. They served this. I mean, they treated us like it was all. It was the, the reception of the lifetime. We'll always remember this. Or the worst thing that could happen was they said, you threw the biggest dud in the world. This was horrible. I don't, I don't even know why we had attended. So this was a big, big deal to him, okay? Keep reading, verse 1. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now most believe the reason that Jesus was there, the disciples were there, and his mother was there. These were some type of relatives to Jesus and his mother. And that's why they attended to celebrate it. Now, you know, I, I look at this verse and this passage and I think, Jesus was a busy fella. But he made time to be a part of family events. He took time to go to this. Jesus did. It's interesting that that's thrown in there. But keep reading verse 3. And so when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And so Mary was very concerned in this situation. And she gets right to the point. And she said, they have no wine. And, and when you look at this right here, I believe because she was their relative, she didn't want them to be embarrassed. She didn't want them in, anybody to humiliate them. Keep reading, verse 4. And so Jesus said to her, woman... What does your concern have to do with me? Now, when he says woman, this did not convey a lack of respect or affection. That wasn't what this meant at all. When, when he says to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What he was talking about here is, I haven't been revealed yet as the Messiah is what this is talking about. But what goes on here that you see is when Jesus was, when Mary said to Jesus, you know, you got to do something here. She knew Jesus had the ability and the power to do those things. Understand this, Jesus is now at the age of 33. That's how old he is in this passage right here. We find out starting up to the age of 12, you saw what Jesus was doing. The Bible's clear that he would go into the temple at 12 to listen to the teaching. But from 12 to roughly 32 or 33, you don't find any things of what Jesus did. But that doesn't mean he wasn't doing nothing. That doesn't mean he was kicking back watching old reruns of Gilligan. I, I believe he was doing things preparing for the kingdom of God. Now think about this. When she says this to Jesus, you got to do something. Can you imagine all of the things she had already seen him do? There's no telling what she had seen him do. And so Jesus was just saying, Mom, come on. My hour has not yet come. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, I think Jesus probably looked at her like, Thanks, Mom. Appreciate it. But when you look at this, when, when Mary says, whatever he says to you to do to the servants, 
She wouldn't take no for an answer. Now, can you imagine this? She looks at those servants and she says, whatever he says to you, do it. No matter how crazy it sounds, no matter how foolish it may look, whatever he says to you, do it. Nike got rich off of that. Just do it. Just do it. Now, I highlight that in there because I believe she's preparing him, saying, whatever he says to you, just obey him. Now, think about some of the stuff Jesus did during his life. I mean, he's the very one who told Peter, come on and walk on the water. That doesn't make sense in the natural. He's the same one who told Lazarus after he'd been dead, he said, hey, dude, wake up, come on out here, rise and come out. That doesn't make a lot of sense to talk to dead people. He's the same one who spoke to the fig tree and he cursed it and it withered. So again, something happens when the Peters of the world hear Jesus say, come and walk on the water. And even though it doesn't make any sense, we still obey it. This is powerful for me and you to get a hold of this because many times... The word of God does not make sense up here. But when I just get over to a place in my life and Jesus says, just obey me. So she says to him back in verse 5, whatever he says to you, just do it. Verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now, when you look at these water pots here, they were nothing out of the ordinary, okay? And what you find many times with human beings is when miracles take place on this earth, a lot of times we have the thought stuff like this. I got to go find out where they got those water pots at. We got to buy, huh, dear, we got we to go to Walmart and find out. We got to go to Hobby Lobby. We got to get... You know what? We may go on Amazon. We've got to find some of those water pots. See, many times we see people that have been healed because they were anointed with oil. And I've heard people say, we've got to find out where they got that oil at. How about this? Woo, we've got to get some of that holy water. I saw a guy get sprinkled. We've got to go to Israel and get some of that holy water. So again, a lot of times our nature as human beings we begin to look at things instead of the source. Those water pots had nothing to do with it, okay? They were just an object for Jesus to work through. How many of you have heard people say, you know what, we ought to go out to California where they had the Zuzu Street Revival. That's where you'll touch God. Again, we act like God is in, a, in just a place or just a, an object instead of saying, man, God can move anywhere. God moves through anything. I mean, when... when uh, Paul would put those handkerchiefs on people and he would lay them on their bodies and they'd get healed. I'll guarantee there are people saying, we got to find out where he got those handkerchiefs at. So again, I'm, I'm just making a little point here. And just believe God. Look to God. Look to God. Quit looking to people and quit looking. To, look to God. Verse 7. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. 
How, how would you like to have been one of the servants? You know there's been approximately 180 gallons of wine in those dudes. And it's gone. And Jesus' mom says, here's the homework assignment. Boys. Whatever he says to you, do it. And the first thing he says, go fill them up with water. I wonder if they looked at him like, are you kidding? Are you crazy? Now again, here's a point. Jesus said, go fill them up with water. Nowhere in that passage did Jesus tell them how much to fill them up with water. He never said. He just said, fill them up with water. So we go back to the story. And oh, this gets so good. And they, the servants, they filled them up to the brim. They didn't fill them up a quarter way, a half way, two thirds. They filled them up to the brim. Now, this is an interesting point right here. Because obedience can be measured. How can obedience be measured? Well, in Luke uh, 6.38, he, he said, Jesus, with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. With the measure you use. And so Jesus says that anytime I begin to sow seed in my life, that if I use a teaspoon, I'm going to get teaspoon results. If I use a tablespoon, I'm going to get tablespoon results. If I use a big scoop, that's what I'm going to get it back. So obedience can be measured. What if you come in with a backhoe? Okay. And so here's an interesting verse for you. Matthew 8, 12. Jesus was talking to this centurion. And he really, really needed a person in his life to be healed. And in Matthew 8, 12. Jesus said to the, uh, the centurion. He said. As you have believed. So be it unto you. As you have faith, as you have lived. And so Jesus didn't say, as I have lived. He said, as you have believed, so it be unto you. So when we put that verse with this, or, or that verse, Matthew 8, 12, with what just happened here in John 8, or John 2. Who told those servants to fill it up to the brim? I believe they had it in their heart. They said, I'm just going to do what she said. Whatever he tells me, I'm going to obey. Now, this is where it really takes off. Verse 9. Verse 8. And Jesus said to them, draw some out and now take it to the master of the feast. Now, the reason I said this is where it gets interesting, because as a servant, for you to pull a stunt like this, you could be killed for this. You could literally be killed because this could be the greatest humiliation of all to them. And so Jesus drew out and he said, boys, you take them and you give them something to drink. And when the servant could have said, now wait a minute, buddy, boy, you take it and give them something to drink. I'm not doing that. Or they said, okay, Larry, me and you and Curly and Mo, let's draw for straws to see who's got to do this. Because one of us may die over this little trick. But Jesus said, draw some out and take it to them. So again, he's checking their faith and he's putting the ball in their court. And you know what he's saying? Do you choose to obey what I said or do you choose to disobey? Oh, this is good. Verse 9. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that had been made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants had drawn the water new, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, can you imagine the little servants boys watching him take? It it was the the sip test. It was the Pepsi challenge. 
They're sitting there watching him thinking, oh boy, this is awesome. Now listen, they hear the results. Verse 10. And he said to them, every man at the beginning sets out of the good wine. And when the guests have all well drunk, then the inferior, then you have kept the good wine until now. See, that's what happens with Jesus. When we obey Jesus, we don't get second best or second. We get the best. Jesus, he says, I'm going to give you the best. I'm going to bless you with the best if you'll what? If you'll just trust me and you'll just obey me. Verse 11. This was the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana, Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. This was the beginning of signs. Now, the reason this is a big point to, to make here. The first miracle that Jesus did, or I should say the first recorded miracle that Jesus did, he didn't raise a dead man. He didn't heal blind eyes. He didn't heal the deaf ears. He blessed the family at a wedding reception. Now you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, you know what this shows me right here? The Lord cares about what you care about. If it's a big deal for you to bless your children, it's a big deal to Him. And many times we have the thought, I don't want to bother you. You're not bothering Him. That's what He died for. That's what he came for. And he said, you know what? I want to bless every one of you in this room. But you got to get to a place where you walk in obedience and you understand, just like these guys, no matter if, if tithing, no matter if giving doesn't make sense, I've still got to obey. Is it going to take faith? It always takes faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So I step out every time. And every time I begin to believe him and I hang on and say, If the Lord Jesus told me to do this, whether I understand it or it seems crazy in my mind, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I'm not even going to believe he's going to bless me. I'm going to believe he's going to bless me with the best. I I heard this story this week. And there was a, a, a single mom. And she was going to church and she began to hear the, the message on honoring God with the tithe, with the first fruit. And for several weeks she kept going to church and she kept hearing it. And she realized, you know what, I'm not doing this. I'm going to have to step up of it. Let me ask somebody in here. Has anyone in this room, have you tithed and honored God since you were a child? Anybody? I, I haven't. I can't raise my hand. I wish I could. That's an incredible heritage. That's why I wanted to do it. So this single mom, she gets paid every two weeks. Her take-home pay is $900 every two weeks. So she says to the Lord, she says, Lord, this is going to stretch me. But because your word says this, I'm going to step out and do it. She writes that check for $90. She does that for about two or three months. What is she beginning to do is she's beginning to get seed in the ground. If you go to the book of Genesis, you see where it says seed time and harvest still remains. So after about three months of this, she sits down one day to write her $90 tithe. And she hears the voice of the Lord in her heart. And she hears the Lord say, put $100 in there this time. 
And she said, Lord, you're going to have to help me with that. That would really, really, that $10 is big to us. And she said, I sense the Lord saying that again. She said this out of her mouth. She said, Lord, you don't understand. I'm on a fixed and a limited income. She says she hears the voice of the Lord in her heart. And he says to her, who fixed your income and who limited it? See, we've got to be careful with the words we say. When we say I'm fixed, that means I'm in conquer. I'm done. I can't do anything about it. So she steps out and she believes God. And she goes ahead and writes that for 100 bucks. She said a week later she goes to a service. She checks her daughter in in children's church. Gets her in. She's walking down the hall to the adult service. This guy comes out of nowhere and says, I'm supposed to give you this. He gives her an envelope and she says, thank you. She sticks it in her Bible, goes to church, picks up her daughter from children's church, goes home and they're sitting there eating lunch and she looks at her Bible and there's that envelope. She pulls it out and opens it and the only thing that's in that envelope is a $100 bill. She realized the faithfulness of God. She said this out of her mouth. She said it didn't happen overnight, but it did happen. Now here's what I wanted to tell you tonight that, that will really help you. Here in a couple months, April, May, our farmers in this area will start sowing cotton seed in the ground. And it's a happy day for them, man. They're like, yes, we got to get seed in the ground. Because you know why? They know if you don't have seed in the ground, there's no harvest. And so when we see them pulling those tractors around and planting that seed, we don't look at them and say, those guys are a bunch of idiots. No, in this part of the world, you realize that's what a lot of people do for a living. But come October, when that, that harvest is time to bring in, not one of us in this room would look at them and say, that's wrong for you to harvest that. You shouldn't expect a harvest. What's wrong with you? And when they talk about the yield this year is incredible, it's a bumper crop, none of us would look at them and say, you're so selfish, why do you even think that way? But yet in the church, when we talk about seed time and harvest, we have that thought. We should never receive. Well, why shouldn't we? God is the one who put it into motion. And again, I'm not preaching, bless me, bless me, bless me. But I give to get, and I give to give, and I give to give, and I give to give. And so I found this out in my life. It starts as a little circle. The more I give, the more I get, and the more I get, the more I give. And before long, it starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know what? I'm not going to apologize for saying that because God said it. God said. Luke 6, 38, give and it, whatever you give would be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men put into your bosom. So I don't know why we get so caught up in that and get hung up and think, oh, God wants us to be poor. God wants us to be broke. Man, if you ever study the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were far from broke. They were so blessed, the other people of the land envied them. You know what the word blessing means? Happy, fortunate, and to be envied. So again, I'm not talking about obedience just in this area. Just obedience in every area of my life. But many times we miss the blessings of God because we don't choose to obey. Here's the thought. 
What would you think in April or May when you saw the cotton farmer sitting up on his porch? And you said, what are you doing today? And he said, I'm hoping there'll be a crop this year. Well, what'd you plant? I didn't plant nothing. We would look at him and say, we've got to lock him up. Send him to the Ha Ha Hotel because he needs some help. See, in the natural, we understand you don't plant, you don't reap. I'm a, I'm a jack-leg gardener, okay? I have three tomato plants, roughly six to eight pepper plants. But you know what? I'm smart enough to realize there are no tomatoes unless I plant. I can put my little tomato cages out there, but if I don't ever put a seed in the ground, I can pray over those cages every day and say, I don't understand, Father God, why aren't there any potato, uh, tomatoes? See, we understand that analogy in the natural. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.